Welcome to the Fader interview. I'm Alex Robert Ross, editorial director of the Fader. For the past 15 years, Flying Lotus, aka Steven Ellison, has been at the forefront of groundbreaking electronic music. Blending beat tape atmospherics with cosmic jazz flourishes and experimental textures, his maximalist sound has strong connections to his home in Los Angeles, but always with a futuristic vibe. Across six studio albums, he's pushed his distinctive style into new musical territories, bringing collaborators including Kendrick Lamar, Earl Sweatshirt, Mac Miller, Radiohead's Tom York, and the late MF Doom into his orbit. His independent mindset extends to his label, Brainfeeder, established in 2008, which has released albums by trailblazers like Thundercat, George Clinton, Hiatus Coyote, and Kamasi Washington, among many others. And in recent years, Flylo has moved further into visual arts, directing the blood-soaked 2017 horror movie Kuso, and providing the score for the anime short Blade Runner Blackout 2022. He's also behind the new Netflix anime series Yasuke, a medieval story about a first black samurai in history, featuring the voice of Oscar nominee Lakeith Stanfield. Flylo scored the show, as well as writing the story alongside showrunner LaShawn Thomas, and working as an executive producer on the project. Just before Yasuke's launch, the Fader's David Renshaw spoke with Flylo about adapting his sound to the screen, his deep love of anime, and how Stanfield came to be an honorary member of the Brain Feeder crew. So obviously as a fan of anime growing up and as an adult as well, to what extent was something like Yusuke the dream project for you? Was it something you were actively seeking to work on? For me, I was actively seeking to work in anime in general. Thundercat and me, we would always joke when we'd see anime intros that, like, man, they need to be hitting us up for this stuff. You know, like, why, why are they not reaching out to us? Like, we should be killing these intros and not a lot of this kind of, like, same old things that you would hear for years and years. And, uh, you know, it just kind of came around naturally, thankfully. Uh, but I, I had no idea this was going to happen. Like a lot of creators, for a while, we just kind of felt like the anime industry was for Japan only. And then that was just kind of, that's it. You know, and if someone like Shinshiro Watanabe knew about you, then great. But otherwise, it felt kind of like a closed industry in a way. Is there any music from your previous albums that you could kind of imagine seeing in an anime or that maybe even began their life as something that you thought, if I can get this to someone in Japan, maybe things will be will move in that direction? Honestly, there's so much of it that I feel could be an anime. I, I think a lot of the music that I create is, is pretty visual and some of it gets kind of intense and I think that lends itself to anime. Like when I when I did Yasuke, everything kind of just felt very natural. Everything just flowed quite easily. You know, once I figured out what the sound was supposed to be, it all just fell into place. I hope that happens again. You know, I was it, it kind of felt like a little miracle that I was able to be very inspired in that the thick of the pandemic. As soon as I started seeing images, I was like, oh yes, I know exactly what this needs to be. And do you see this um, album, where does it fit in with the rest of your discography? Does it, is it a continuation of what you've been working on or is it separate to the, to the previous albums that people will know you for? I, I feel like the project that I've done, it, it feels very me. It could be someone's favorite of my stuff. 
there I feel like there's certain people who've been kind of looking to me, you know, looking for me to do this sort of thing for a while because, you know, I feel like I've taken my a lot of my music in kind of crazier directions, but there's some people who just kind of want, you know, that kind of raw beat thing and there's something about it, I think, that kind of ticks some boxes for people that um, they might have missed for a minute from me. Could you tell me about kind of the very early stages of having seen the animation and the story building that what did you kind of take from those in terms of cues for the music it was tough i i really was stumped the whole way in terms of what the music was going to sound like i was stumped from when we were coming up with plot stuff to the end or you know until i started seeing the the, the show move it really made all the difference. Once I saw stuff moving, I picked up the pace of what the show was, and I picked up the tone. Uh, that it really made a difference. And in a lot of these cases, I think you know, the composers are just kind of blindly creating music, hoping that it'll get placed in the different scenes. Especially in anime, the, a lot of the creators don't get to work to picture, so the process was a little different. But I, I was so glad to be able to do that because seeing it move really gave me all the inspiration I needed. Is there a, a key image or scene or a section from one of the episodes that you could kind of point to as uh, being particularly inspirational in those early stages of, of coming up with the music? I think once I started seeing scenes from actually more of the subdued scenes and like the kind of talky scenes, once I started seeing that stuff and seeing like, okay, it's it's this kind of pace, it, it really made everything click. Because, you know, if, if the show had more of like that fast paced kind of conversation, I don't know if the more ambient approach would have been right. Catching the pace of dialogue and movement really uh, informs the what the sound is going to be. that the ways in which the animation studios work kind of changed the way you work as well they work very kind of quickly and efficiently and are very you know led by the calendar whereas maybe you take a more relaxed approach would that, would that be fair to say i would say that's fair i think my approach is a bit more meticulous you know i, I kind of like to sit on ideas for a while and make sure that i'm in love with them before i put anything out i really love to obsess over tracks for months and months until I'm like, man, you know, actually there's something about this thing. Uh, and I didn't have the opportunity to do that with this show, which, uh, which, which was also, it was great to be, to be honest, because it allowed me to kind of break out of my comfort zone and it, it, it forced me to commit to ideas and it forced me to finish ideas 
and see things through. It was a reminder that when I work like that, I can I can make things happen quite quickly. And you know, I'm I'm really proud of the soundtrack. So yeah, hopefully um, it kicked off a thing that will keep going in me where I I don't um, obsess over stuff as long. I guess. And, you mentioned a minute ago, in addition to making the music for this, you've also worked on the story and, and kind of been involved very much from early on. Can you tell me a bit about your involvement in the show away from the music? Yeah, when the, when the show first came around, there was a, a kind of premise that was was really, really dope. But I think it, it was more so kind of like a Yasuke for a live action premise and I think they wanted my opinions and ideas on kind of expanding the concepts and yeah so I kind of helped with structuring uh, Yasuke's kind of like present day story and his trajectory you know I my involvement was really creating Saki you know the 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 girl Saki her character and uh, her mother as well as you know other other things but I think most of my influence is in the first half of the show, like the first three episodes. It was just an amazing, amazing thing to be, you know, contributing ideas along the way. Just being so close to the show, I think it just allowed me to have a deeper appreciation for my position and responsibility as a composer when that moment came around. Being so close to it, I was like, okay, I I have to do a good job. Whereas I think sometimes when you feel like a gun for hire, you're just kind of, you can go through the motions and it doesn't really mean anything to you. But when you're, when you're super connected, I think uh, everyone wants to put, put their best foot forward. Yosuke is kind of the archetypal story of the outsider. Is that kind of loner, misfit feeling something that you identify with? That feeling is, is very identifiable for me because, I mean, even in this process, just just working in the system, trying to work my way within like the Japanese anime structure of scoring TV shows, it's a totally different experience. You know, I'm the guy in California asking people to work differently in Japan, and they're you know looking at me like, oh man, what what are we about? What are we getting ourselves into now? And and you know along the way, I'm just like, oh man. Uh, you know, always feeling like the weirdo in the room. <laughs> it, it never changes. So, you know, it, it, it's it's um, I'm used to it though. I'm 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 cut out for this stuff. Obviously, Yasuke is set in Japan and is a story of, like we say, an outsider making his way in the country. I wondered if you had any what your experience of traveling abroad through through your music career has been like, and and whether you yourself have kind of felt that. Uh, outside of them while making your way in in different countries always 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 we can even talk about japan you know i i went to japan for the first time when i was 10 years old with my mother and you know this is like 1993 it might have even been earlier than that when i was there and you know hip-hop hadn't really taken over like it, it is now and i think back then people see the sight of a tall black child in Japan, it would, it would freak people out, man. A lot of kids would be just like staring at me and just pointing like they'd never seen 
a black person before, you know, they was just like, what are you, man? <laughs> it was a really weird, strange experience. But I've I've just I've just grown used to that kind of thing, man. You know, I'm I'm used to going and traveling to, you know, Eastern Europe, playing a show and be the only black person in the town, you know, like at all. I'm used to that. I've been there before, you know. Um, so it's it's nothing for me, really. I, mean, I just see myself as a human being. Bloodstained katanas, black man from Ghana. I battle over my honor and guided by Nobunaga. The power in every kata has channeled most of my only. Years later, ended up scarred, broken, and lonely. The sword I touched, been cursed by memories of war. Every stroke from the blade left the enemy's floor. Challenge the Lord who could afford to buy your life clearly. Let you commit seppuku, not worthy your harakiri. 45 battle side, get ready to die over pride. Commit suicide, standing right behind with a steel noble samurai to the naked eye. I'll decide if you stay alive. What you're talking about there kind of brings me on to my next question, which is that um, anime obviously has a huge black fan base, but there's a, a long kind of problematic history of black characters in the anime being portrayed with like, uh, racist stereotypes and animation and images. How have you as a fan kind of reconciled those differences as you grew up and identified with the with the anime but also could see what was clearly a problem with it i think at the end of the day we all just hope that people aren't intentionally racist right i think we hope that people just have really terrible points of reference and i think we hope that people just you know are just kind of ignorant to what they do uh i I really i really believe that you know, and I think even the director of the show, LaShawn, had kind of mentioned that. It's just that these people who are drawing these images in, in Japan, they just, you know, they that's just what they know. Like, their their style of drawing, they, they might not be trying to, to really hurt anybody's feelings. I can't say specifically, but, you know, there's some stuff that I see and it's like, wow, I can't believe it. You know, after all these years, we still don't have a, a black Dragon Ball character. And, you know, there's so many black kids who love that show, you know, and it's like, okay, wow, we don't have, why does there have to be a black character? I don't know. Because maybe that show just has like universes and universes and universes and multiverses of different types of characters. And they're all like, you got wolf people, you got like all types of like genie people and none of them black though. (laughs) You ain't got no like, you know, angelic beings and aliens then you know no black people though it's cool it'll happen soon i feel it and to what extent do you think yasuke kind of redresses that balance and, and was that kind of part of the inspiration behind the show you know i think what's more interesting to me is that like i we we wish we could have more black characters in the show but it just there's no, you can't really do that with this story uh I think it's it's supposed to be about an outsider in this place, and um, you wish you were making like a anime or hella hella characters from all around the world. And I think we we tried our best to kind of represent different cultures and whatnot at the time. But yeah, I I think uh, Yasuke is just hopefully the the start of uh, 
many more of these black characters and heroes. And you mentioned the director there, uh, LaShawn Daniels, who's worked on, people, people may know his name from the Boondocks, and he's he spent a long time working in Japan and making his way in, in the anime world. And he's part of a kind of a small wave of black creators who are working within the medium at the moment, and yourself included with, with this project. Does this kind of increase of diversity kind of um, give you hope for the future that things will be different going forwards? Absolutely. Absolutely. I have, I have a lot of faith in, in the future and especially now that you know, Netflix is kind of snapped up a lot of the animation studios. I, I, I'm, I know the kind of moves they're making behind the scenes and they're definitely spreading around and they're, you know, snapping up some pretty big IP. So it's, it's, it's going to get really crazy. I think in the next two years, we're going to see some, uh, the anime industry just quadruple. I, I already know it. Just the, the types of things that are going to be made. Do you feel it has the potential to become more mainstream than it currently is? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, um, you know, let Yasuke be kind of a, you know, a thing. It's like that that show hit the top 10 on, on the on Netflix charts, and that's that's no easy feat. Man. Like, there's a lot of uh, crazy content on there, and and you have millions and millions of subscribers. It's that's mainstream to me. Demon Slayer, that movie, the animated movie, is the biggest movie in the world right now. That is bigger than Mortal Kombat. Um, you know, the Dragon Ball Broly movie that came out was one of the biggest movies at the time, and it's just getting crazier. You know, all these kind of like shonen series, the anime are, are like kind of showing out right now making tons and tons of money. Netflix knows. Uh, people are seeing it. The voice of Yasuke is Lakeith Stanfield, who people will know from Atlanta and Judas and the Black Messiah. Could you tell me a little bit, as much as you know, how he came to be involved with the project? Yeah, I, I'm the third person who got invited to the party. I think Lakeith was the second and LaShawn being the first. He and I would cross paths all the time though i haven't seen him in forever but he and i would always cross paths and we'd be like we're gonna work on something bet and then uh funny enough it, it turned into this project but uh, yeah I, I love what he does i think he's such an interesting guy i feel like he's he's just like he's also like a brain feeder artist in a weird way i feel like he he fits in very very well with the kind of crew that i've assembled but you know, he's, he's like the uh, unspoken member. The theme song for Yasuke is Black Gold, which features your longtime collaborator, Thundercat. Um, I wondered if you could tell me what goes into the making of a song that you know is going to be on kind of the opening credits of, of this project. Is do you, do you approach that differently? And, and what did you kind of want to get into Black Gold to make it work as a theme song? I wanted to make something that felt true to what I was seeing. That, to me, was the most important thing. It was so difficult to do because at first they wanted me to write the theme song without having seen anything from the show. But like I said, as soon as I saw it move, I came up with, with all types of stuff. You know, the melody just came right out. As soon as I saw it move, I was like, oh, it's this. This is that was it. That was it. 
It was easy. As soon as I saw it, man, first thing happened was the melody. And I knew once I had a melody for Yasuke and a, a theme to shoot from and to pull from whenever I need, that was like my anchor. That helps so much, just kind of establishing the theme and the, the tone. Everything else is just kind of like, you know, just spilling out of you after a certain point. But yeah, for Black Gold, and once I had that, man, the whole thing just butter. Thundercat someone that you or is anime something that you and Thundercat have bonded over over the years is that a big part of your relationship I think that's probably the first thing Thunder and me bonded over was anime the first time he walked into my house you know he he saw I had a, a record collection and the first record that he noticed was the fist of the North Star vinyl that I had and he made a comment he was like oh yeah oh word and then he just started looking around my place and looking at how nerdy everything was. And he was like, oh, dude, we should have been hanging out years ago. <laughs> and earlier this year at the Grammys, Thundercat won the best urban contemporary album for his album, It's His Was His. That's, I believe, Brain Feeder's first Grammy. Is that correct? Yeah, it's Brain Feeder's first Grammy. And the Grammy matters. You know, we can sit around and we can talk about how Grammys aren't important and how it, whatever this that whatever no one's gonna be mad for receiving one that's for sure i had no expectation i was not checking for it i feel like that is the the one year i wasn't looking for it is the year i got it and it was uh it's really interesting i sat on that moment and was got to just be like yes you know and i i, I cry man i don't know if you saw I, there was a video of like when when we got the award i man i it all just hit me at once. I just like let it all out, you know, like the whole journey just hit. It, it felt really nice to be acknowledged and to be recognized after, you know, spending a lot of time doing this. You know, I've been in the game for forever, man. And it just, it does feel, it feels nice to, to know that it's, it's all been worth something. Just returning back to Yasuke slightly, a lot of people found it hard to be inspired during the past year. Creativity is kind of difficult when you're preoccupied by other things going on in the world. Was that yeah? Was that was that something that you found working on this project? Was it was it hard to motivate yourself given everything else going on? I was so grateful to have the project because it was an escape, and I w it allowed me to create without having to be heady about it. I was like, oh okay, I just have to create to what I'm looking at and what I'm feeling from what I'm watching. That works. If I had to create from like what my heart was feeling out of nothing with no visuals or anything to work with, it would have probably been a little more difficult to come up with stuff. It was, that year took the wind out of all of us, I feel. It was like, it was such a gross, terrible year. But for me, I, I was just so grateful to have the project to run to and hide away and just kind of be a samurai for a while. 
And I kind of wanted to end by asking a bit about, we, we talked about the, the problem, the trials of 2020 and, and what everyone went through in terms of creativity and that this sort of thing. Live music disappeared in the last year. And clear as, a, as an, an artist whose live show is renowned as being particularly innovative and boundary pushing, you're someone who probably felt that more keenly than others. I wondered if you, how, how you kind of felt taking a year off the road and also how you feel about the kind of potential return of, of live music in, in the coming months. I love playing shows for people. I love that experience. But I also needed that year to kind of collect myself, I think. There's a lot of people who were like, you know, kind of thrown out of the mix because of the, the touring being off. But, you know, for me, I didn't have many things planned to be on the road anyway. It allowed me a lot of time to kind of dig into music concepts that I've been trying to grasp with theory and, you know, just, you know, other personal things in my life I was able to kind of focus on for the year. Whereas uh, if I were touring around, I probably wouldn't have been able to to, to invest that kind of time into to just getting better into growing, you know. But so now when it's time to do shows again and when it's time to go back out into the world, I'm I got some firepower. You know, I got some new new tricks up my sleeve and things that I've been chipping away at over here and I, I'm I'm looking forward to getting back into it. But I definitely wasn't mad at having a little time to to go back to the lab. I think maybe if I had to say one thing that I, I spent a lot of time doing was programming synthesizers, you know, learning how to really, really dive into a synthesizer, uh, taking the time to, to, to figure out like what every little piece of it would do, that has helped me so much in, in sound design and all the stuff that I work in. And I, you know, like I, I needed a month to just kind of figure out like what every little piece of these things do and now whenever I go to a board any of these keyboards I kind of know how to get busy on them because you know I, I, I know I know what these things do these all these knobs and buttons do now I'm not just like shooting in the dark okay uh thank you for your time that's kind of my question congratulations again on the on the show and the music and everything it's all come together so well thank you so much dave man i appreciate it man thank you thank you oh well, enjoy the rest of your day and, and the rest of your week you too that was flying lotus in conversation with the faders david renshaw yasuke is streaming now on netflix flylo soundtrack for the series is out now on warp our engineer is tony giambroni and our associate producer is salvatore Mackie. we'd like to thank lauten audio for providing our microphones you can find them at lautenaudio.com. And we'd like to thank James Ivey for providing our intro music. Remember to follow the Fader interview wherever you listen to podcasts and keep an eye on thefader.com for essential music news, interviews, and essays. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Fader interview. Goodbye until then.